as we continue our trek through Abraham's life, the road to faith, we come to a passage of scripture that may seem unusual to you, uh, but is a very important time, a very important truth we need to look. You see, the reality is in our world, there's a long history of people forming treaties uh, either to end conflict or prevent conflict. Some of the important ones for us to consider this morning is the oldest treaty known. It was the border agreement between Lagash and Uma, uh, and it was in Mesopotamia. It's inscribed on a stone block setting a prescribed boundary between the two states. As you see, somewhere around 3100 B.C., Uh, Then there was an Egyptian-Hittite treaty uh, much later, uh, about in the 1200 B.C. era. One of the reasons it's important for us, or interesting to us anyway, it has two nations, two people groups that we know about through the Scripture. Uh, The Hittites, uh, an ancient enemy of Israel. And then we find uh, a major treaty the Magna Carta, in 1215 A.D., uh, between King John of England and his subjects. I would love to say that it settled all the issues that were going on in England, but it didn't. They had, they had to ratify and redo this treaty a number of times, but it became an important document and led to a lot of the historic common law ideas that have even shaped our nation. Then, we had the Treaty of Paris, uh, in, you see, in 1783, which officially ended the American Revolution. And then, there was the Treaty of Pontotoc, 1832. It was between the United States and the Chickasaws where the Chickasaw Nation ceded certain land in Georgia uh, and the land they were living in to the United States for new territory. If you're familiar with American history, you will know it was this treaty that was accomplished in our state of Mississippi led to the Trail of Tears, one of those shameful moments within our history. Then the Paris Peace Treaties. Uh, from uh, 1947 and 1951, that formally ended the conflict known as World War II. The first treaty dealt with the European theater. The second dealt with uh, the allies of Japan. Then you have the Korean War armistice, uh, which was not a peace treaty. Technically, North and South Korea are still at war. Uh, but the, the fighting is stopped. And then you have the Paris Peace Accords uh, that later came in our nation's history that led to the uh, American withdrawal from Vietnam. And then the Russian-Ukrainian Friendship Treaty. What an interesting name. Uh, in 1987, the, it fixed the principle of strategic partnership the recognition of the inviability of existing borders, respect for territorial integrity and mutual commitment not to use its territory to harm the security of each other. It was ratified in 1998 uh, by Ukraine and 1999 by Russia. And we know that that treaty has no longer held. Why do we do these treaties? At some level, people on earth Say we want peace. But how much are we willing to work for it? Now with all those treaties, in our text today, we find a surprising treaty between Abraham and Abimelech, who was a Philistine leader. I say it's surprising because when you fast forward several hundred years, you find Israel about to enter into the land of Canaan, and God tells the servant Moses and tells Joshua, do not enter into treaties with the Canaanites. The Canaanites are now under the full judgment of God. They have not heard the witness through Abraham and others like him. And God is now going to deal with them. 
And here, we have a sanctioned treaty between Abraham and the Philistine. But please understand, Abimelech was not the Canaanites that Israel faced. Abimelech, as we will see, even had an, uh, not a full-fledged faith in the Lord uh, God Almighty, but at least a, an appreciation for Abraham's God. It's, a, it's an interesting moment in time, and I think it's significant for us. So if you will, please stand as we look at Genesis 21, verses 22 through 34. And I want you to pay close attention to what's happening here. Again, remember, this is a treaty between Abraham and a pagan leader. We read, at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me in the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba, because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So, Our text that shows a treaty being made between Abimelech and Abraham points to us something important. It foreshadows a New Testament concept, an idea that actually even shows up within the Old Testament at times, that God's people are called to live peacefully in this world. Now, why is it important that we learn this? And folks, I believe it's crucially important that we learn this today. Because we are in a world where there is, it's already been mentioned, chaos, there's all sorts of disagreements, there are all sorts of anger. We need to learn this truth. Now, why is it so important? Well, today we're going to look at several truths that our text gives birth to that we need to understand and embrace If we are going to be the people God has called us to be, we need to learn some lessons from Abraham. And we begin with this understanding. Having a peaceful heart opens the door to witness. Having a peaceful heart opens the door to witness. You look at Abraham and Abimelech. And if you remember, when they first meet, it was not good. Abraham tried to pass his, sis, his wife off as his sister. Abimelech took her in. God warned him, don't touch her. Abimelech is very upset with Abraham. But they work it out. And a peace is drawn. Now, here they are, approximately six years later. And there is now another call for peace. And Abimelech's call for a treaty opened up a A possibility for Abraham to show what it meant to be the man of God. Abimelech begins by saying, I know that God is with you wherever you go. Whatever you do, God's hand is upon you. That's a summit. And there's a contrast. John Butler has pointed out the contrast between the two meetings. That are pretty interesting. In the first meeting, Abraham was rebuked. Why did you do this to me? In the second meeting, Abimelech is rebuked. Why are your men doing this to me? 
In the first meeting, Abimelech gives gifts to Abraham. In the second meeting, Abraham gives gifts to Abimelech. In the first meeting, Abimelech came to Abraham to upbraid him. In the second meeting, Abraham, he comes to Abraham and instead praises him. These meetings are different. They're with the two same men, but coming about a different thing. But in the end, both meetings result in peace between these two leaders. Abimelech's call, though, did you notice what the treaty he was asking him for? I want you to swear that you will not deal falsely with me or my people. Any idea why he might put that in the treaty? The last time Abraham had dealt falsely with Abimelech. Abimelech really wants this treaty. He he understands God is with you, but I'm asking you to be a better man than you were before. I'm asking you to live up to the God that you are calling upon. I need you to show that you really want to get along with me. I want to get along with you. Now Abraham knew he was God's man. What had God promised him? I'm going to take you to a land that will be yours and your descendants. Abraham could have said to Abimelech, I really don't need your blessing. I don't need this treaty. God is on my side. You're right. So I'm going to trust God. But he doesn't do that. He could have rejected this call for cooperation with Abimelech. But he swears the oath. And it's been pointed out There's no problem here. Some people think, no, he's making an oath with a pagan person. But folks, all Abraham is doing is saying, I will live at peace with you, my neighbor. Now maybe what Abraham has seen here is the fulfillment of God's promise. That not just are you going to give me a land, but do you remember what else God said to Abram when he first calls him? In Ur of Chaldees? I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you what? A blessing to all peoples. And Abraham sees, this is my moment to be a blessing. I believe that Abraham knows I'm being given a second chance. I can now show you what I failed to show you when we first met. I can show you what it means to be a godly follower of the Lord God, Yahweh. I can demonstrate to you what it means to follow the God who is with me. Now, how does that relate to us? Well, folks, let's be honest. We are not inclined to witness if all we see are enemies surrounding us. If all I can see are the bad guys, if all I can see are those people out there who want to get us or who hate us. Now, I am not naive, people. I know the truth that there are enemies of the faith. And there are places in this world where standing and being a Christian, quite literally, you are risking your life. I understand that. And I understand that that has been a problem throughout Christian history. The word witness in the Greek New Testament actually gives us the word martyr. Martyros. The martyr. Because in the beginning, to stand up for Christ could put you in jail. It could cost you your life. There are people out in the world who would do harm to us, our cause, and ourselves. But I want to remind you of a principle that's found within the book of Ephesians. Something important that we need to get hold of. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 12. And it's leading into this whole discussion of the full armor of God. And listen to what Paul says. For we our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We need to understand something, folks. The real enemies of this world are the spiritual forces that control the lost in this world. 
The reality is, apart from a saving encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, people who live in this world are lost without God. And they are operating in the realm. They don't know it. I I highly encourage you, never walk up to somebody trying to share your faith and say, you're a slave of Satan. It's not going to go well. That's not going to make peace and it's not going to be a good witness. They don't understand. They are pawns. The people in this world who do not know our God are pawns in the hands of an enemy and they don't know it. And they need the hand of God. They need the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to set them free. They need salvation. And if we can remember this, if we can remember that all those people out there that we tend to see as enemy, first of all, well, we're going to get back to that. Let, let, let me not give away. But the reality is, if I can remember that the lost in this world are in a kingdom of darkness that needs light, maybe I can remember what I'm called to do. To be a witness. To be salt. To be light to the world. Maybe I can remember that I have a call in my life as a child of God to make a difference in this world. To share the good news with Jesus Christ uh, with their hearts and hopefully bring others into the kingdom so that they can be set free just like every person in this room who knows Christ has been set free by the Lord. Because folks, at one time or other, every one of us belong to the kingdom of darkness. Every one of us. And so, if I can look at Abraham saying, this is my chance to shine for God, we have freedom to pray for and witness to those whose hearts are set against us if we heed the call to living peacefully. I have the possibility you, as a child of God, have the possibility of making a difference in someone's life for the kingdom of God if we will begin to see people needing Christ. If we're willing to strive to find doorways to peace, trying to find ways to bring the greatest peace, the peace that passes understanding, the peace that comes through Jesus Christ, to the lives of people who are broken, who are lost, who are doomed, if we can find the way, I believe that we will begin to see some of those enemies become brothers and sisters in Christ. I once heard the testimony of a man by the name of Ben Kinchlow. Long time ago, decades ago, he was part of the 700 Club of a big, tall African-American, and, and he was... I heard his testament. It was a, a, a marvel. He was giving it in a prison. It was a video. And he, he was, at the time he was saved, he was a black Muslim. And he said, my idea, when it came to white people, my idea was, of the golden rule was, leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. Touch me, I'll break your arm. And he said, I hated white people. But I found out hate was like a cancer because it doesn't stay where it's pointed. So I began to hate not only white people, I hated every black person that didn't hate white people. And then he said, and this is the part where it gets, gets amazing, he goes, but God has a great sense of humor. God used a skinny little white preacher who didn't even know how to dress Clothes just so tacky to lead me to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what can happen. If we're willing to say, Lord, 
help us find a way to reach people who don't want our gospel. Help us to find a way to break down the barriers that are keeping people away from God. Lord, help us to be witnesses. A chance to show what it means to truly love God. Now, not all will respond positively, but some will. Hopefully many. A woman wrote to a Christian uh, newspaper and talked about a situation, uh, an experience that her family learned. During one of their family Bible readings as Christians, they ran across a verse, "If if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And she said, it floored her family. Her sons were 7 and 10 at the time, and they were particularly puzzled by that. They said, why should you feed your enemy? And the woman admitted, my husband and I were wondering that too. But the only answer John could think of to give the boys was, we're supposed to because God says so. And sometimes that's the way it feels. That's, you know, God said it, so do it. She wrote, it never occurred to us that we would soon learn why. Day after day, John Jr. would come home from school and he was upset because there's a little boy behind him that when the teacher wasn't looking, kept jabbing him. And he said, one of these days out the recess, I'm going to jab him back. And Mama said, protective Mama Bear that she is, I wanted to go to the school and jab that little boy. And then dad, the, little, the, the younger brother looks at the older brother and his parents says, maybe we should feed his enemy. And they kind of step back. Now what? And the dad said, you know, we could try it. And mom says, is there anything that this kid likes to eat? And he has jelly beans. So the next day he has a bag of jelly beans with him. And the kid jabs him. And he turns around and doesn't say a word, but puts the bag of jelly beans on the desk. And he said, the kid looked shocked. Didn't say anything, but took the jelly beans. And it happened a couple more times. And the next thing they knew, these two boys became lifelong friends. The guy loved jelly beans. They fed the enemy. And now they are friends. And I love what she wrote. It seems enemies are always hungry. Maybe that's why God said feed them. We can see people change. If we change under the power of God and decide to live peacefully. Our next truth. Having a peaceful heart can help us work towards settling conflict. It can help us. And folks, we will have conflict. Whenever I do premarital counseling, I will ask the couple, how did your families handle conflict? I will ask, how do you handle conflict? I actually would have them answer a question, used to have them answer a question, or finish a statement. You make me angry when... And I had far too many couples say, I can't think of any time I'm angry. And my first reaction is, you don't know each other well enough. Or you're not being honest. And I make a point, everyone has conflict. Everyone. And so we need to deal. How do we deal with this? When we see what's going on between these men, Abraham says, I swear I'm not going to deal falsely with you. And immediately, Abraham sought a solution to the servants of Abimelech who seized a well that he had dug, the patriarch dug. Immediately, your men have seized my well. And Abimelech answers, now, first of all, I've often wondered, did Abraham say this because he believed Abimelech was behind it all? Or was he just trying to find a solution? But the point was, by bringing it up, by rebuking what has happened, he's opened the door. Abimelech shares, and it kind of sounds to us a little sketchy, doesn't it? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who these people were. I don't know what they did. 
But you should have told me about it to begin with. I think there's a real possibility that he didn't know what was going on. Because sometimes people do what they want without consultation. And he was resolved to settle the problem. So Abraham brings some animals. Do you remember what I talked about cutting the covenant when God had Abraham sacrifice some animals, cut them into, lay them in a path? That's probably what happened here. They slaughtered the animals, they laid them apart, made a path, both parties of the covenant walked through, and that's how they signed the treaty. But then, Abraham brings five female lambs, seven, excuse me, female lambs, and gives them to Abimelech. And Abimelech says, well, what's this for? And Abraham just says, this will stand forever as a sign that I dug that well. And Abimelech receives the lambs. And then the place was named Beersheba. This is where it gets really neat. Beersheba may mean the well of seven, or it may mean the well of oath. Because the word translated seven or oath looks identical in the Hebrew text. The fact that the translation that we've read from says Beersheba because they made an oath there leads me to believe Abraham names it Beersheba to point out we now have an oath between us. And the resolution has come. Now what this tells me, if we're willing to listen, and we're not always willing to listen, not all conflicts are irreconcilable if we are willing to work for peace. Now most of you are old enough and have experienced enough in this world that you know not all conflicts can be resolved. Jesus said, if you remember your brother has something against you, go to him try to make reconciliation. Well, you have probably tried to make reconciliation with somebody and may have had your hand slapped back. There are some people who just never seem ready to let go of their anger, who never seem ready to let go of their hatred. But there's a possibility, a possibility of reconciliation if we are willing to begin from a standpoint, well, it was the very first word we read, in, or I read for you in our responsive reading. Romans twelve eighteen. If it is possible, which suggests it's not going to be sometimes, but if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Obviously, this is a big if. Because I said, there are some people who are not going to live at peace. But if we show kindness, if we show love, if we refuse to give hatred back, if we refuse to return evil for evil, there is a possibility. And Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, suggests that there is a possibility for a child of God willing to take the chance to live at peace. We need to understand this. Heeding the admonition to live peacefully will open up opportunities of healing instead of hate. Years ago, I had someone at the end of a service as everybody is leaving. I had just got through preaching. I was preaching through what we call the Lord's Prayer, which probably should be called the model prayer because he's teaching us how. And someone walked up to me and took me by the hand and said, Brother Danny, I don't care what Jesus said. I'll never forgive that woman. Now those of you who know me have probably noticed there are very few times in my life that I'm at a loss for words. 
But I didn't know what to say. I just stared at her for a few moments. Now I understand if she said, I wish Jesus hadn't said that. But for somebody who said, I am a child of the King. I have faith in Christ. Then to say, I don't care what Jesus said. I won't forgive. There's a huge problem there. There's a huge problem there. After the ending of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln was encouraged to bring about a strict reconstruction. And there were people within his cabinet, advisors, saying we need to treat them like a hostile enemy who has lost a war and we need to be hard on them. We need to destroy their power. We need to stop them. And Abraham Lincoln, is his response was telling. He said, am I not destroying my enemies when I make friends of them? And he said, my intention is not to treat them like a defeated nation. They are part of us. And we need to find a way to bring healing. If by seeking to live peacefully, we can find new brothers and sisters in the kingdom, isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth biting back our anger, asking God to give us a sense of grace, a sense of mercy, if by reaching out and showing love when we could show hatred, we might actually see someone come into the kingdom of God? I believe it is. And I believe it is worth every effort we can make to try and follow the admonition of God to live at peace with everybody. As far as it depends on us, I can't change somebody else's heart. I can't make them love me. But I can decide by the grace of God I will not let them cause me to hate them. Our final truth. So we look at Abraham. Having a peaceful heart may lead to the reception of God's provision. When all is said and done, this passage ends with kind of a weird statement. You know, we've, we've looked at these two men. Don't deal falsely with me. I won't. Your men are mistreating me. It won't happen again. All these things are going on. And then we are told at the end of our text that Abraham, this great patriarch, was related to Seth. No, (laughs) not quite, but what does he do? Abraham significantly planted a tree at Beersheba. After the tree has been made, he's a horticulturist all of a sudden. He plants a tree. Now, the NIV identifies it, and most scholars believe that this was a tamarisk tree, a tree common in the sandy Negev, the desert. Uh, It had numerous branches uh, with very small leaves. Sometimes it was called the leaveless tamarisk because there didn't seem to be many there. It was deciduous, but it could provide great shading. It could extend to heights of 20 to 30 feet, and it, it was an amazing tree. So he plants it. Now, this seems weird because what does this have to do with anything? Why are we told Abraham plants a tree? Well, it seems that Abraham is making a statement. This is now my home. This is now my place. Someone has said, the fact is we seldom do much landscaping in a situation in which peace does not abound. Peace means you can enjoy where you live. Planting a tree or trees or doing other landscaping reflects the fact. I'm planting a tree. 
Because God has worked this out for me. He plants a tree and then calls on the name of the Lord. A practice that has followed Abraham everywhere he went in Canaan. Building altars, worshiping God. This is God moving. And I know God has brought me here. He's made this possible. He's going to give me the land. This tree is a sign that, that His promises are true. This is home. This is a, the life ahead of us is fertile as the people of God. And God is going to do something amazing within us. And I know God is with me. Planting a tree. We've talked about Israel building altars. Stones of remembrance. Remembering what God has done. And now there is a living tree showing that God has made this possible. With what could have been a potential enemy, lots of trouble, God allowed the peace to flow. What we need to understand, constantly seeing the people of the world as enemies can cause us to lose sight of what could be ours. You see, If we as Christians allow hatred or anger to guide our lives... Now folks, everybody gets angry. Anger in itself is not sinful. Paul tells the Ephesians, be angry, and then immediately says, sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, don't stoke your anger, don't hold on to your anger, don't feed your anger. Because he says, it will give a foothold to the enemy. And if I give the enemy that foothold in my life, I will be in trouble. I've told people, our refusal to forgive people results in a kind of idolatry. Because if I harbor hatred in my heart for someone, I'm giving control of my life over into their hands. Ah. I have shared in the past that there's been certain people in my life if I see them first at Walmart, they won't see me. First time I ever said that, my music minister said, you know what, I've never seen you in Walmart. And so, okay, we, we just haven't bumped into each other. But there are certain people in my life, I will freely admit that I have a difficulty in getting along with and it's a struggle. And sometimes I thought it's easier than not having the conflict to move away. Anger is real. What becomes sinful is when we hold on to it and we, for, we refuse to let go. Because when I refuse to forgive, when I refuse to love and seek peace, that person, I can be having the most wonderful day in my life and see them in Walmart and it shatters my joy. And I have to figure out Where can I run and hide? I give control of my life. If our hearts are bent toward hatred, we forget the possibilities of God using us. If I allow, and there are people out there, folks, who do make me angry. People who write things, who say things, who do things that make me angry. But I cannot let that anger control me. Because the moment I do, I forget God has a reason for my being here. And that is to shine the light of Christ. And if I'm not careful, if we're not careful, we take upon ourselves a victim mentality. And we forget one of the greatest promises of all of God's Word. It's found in Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors 
through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, we are more than conquerors. No matter what the world does, even if the world inflicts death, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is there redeeming. And He can use even the most horrible situations to bring about His purpose. If someone kills me, they do not take away my God. And I will be with Him. We can walk in victory even if the enemies of the world seek to destroy us. And so we need to understand, we need to really get this. This truth, this reality. We are called to be a people of peace. Of grace. This does not mean we ignore the bad stuff. We work to try to bring about resolution. Abraham said, oh yeah, your guy stole my well. But when we're working toward resolution, we're doing it with hearts of grace and peace and love. When we're willing to follow the admonition to live peacefully, amazing things can happen. Because living peacefully in this world can sharpen our awareness of what God can bring our way. When I remember what God calls me to do within His Word, to shine the light of Christ, to stand up for the truth, but again from Paul's writings, when I speak the truth, it's done in love, then God can shine and provide for me everything I need for victory. We can be triumphant, whatever comes our way. In Corey Tim Boone's, the hiding place. At one point, her sister Bessie, you get the when you're reading the book, you get the feeling there were times that Corey was a little perturbed with her sister because Bessie kept looking for what God was doing, and Corey kind of wanted not to. And at one point in the concentration camp where they were held, lice came and infested their living space. And, and, and Bessie said, we need to thank God for this. How can we thank God for this? Well, the guards didn't want to come in. And they were given a place of peace to worship God. I've never thanked God for that I can remember for a bug biting me. But we can see God can use anything if we're willing. When we see this, God can do the amazing. Our eyes will be focused on Him and His purpose and His loving hand. And we will be reminded the words of Jesus in John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And he's saying this to disciples that there is strong historical evidence all but John faced a martyr's death. And John spent the last part of his life in exile. And Jesus said, you're going to have trouble in this world, but be of peace. I have overcome the world. God will give us what we need. 
At this moment in time, the light of Jesus is desperately needing to be shown in our nation. The love of Christ desperately needs to be demonstrated by the people of God. You have heard me say, preach an old series on awakening, that I've been praying as long as I've been an adult for an awakening, a spiritual awakening in our land. And I believe only the hand of God can change America and bring us to where we need to be. And if we're fighting with the instruments of the world, we're not going to shine. So Lord, let me learn what it means to be at peace, to work for peace, to work for love, to work for reconciliation, to shine the light of grace and mercy in a world that desperately needs so. Because I can learn from Abraham if I'm willing to. This encounter, which by the way, precedes the absolute greatest test of Abraham's faith in all of his life. This encounter can guide us Toward seeking to do what God has called us to do. To live at peace in this world. And when we do so, it will enhance our witness. Be a lot easier for people to believe in the love of Jesus if they see love in our lives. Doing so will help us to seek to resolve conflict in a way that would honor God. Yes, we acknowledge when there is something wrong and we work to try to fix it if we can. But we do so with hearts of love and compassion. Doing so opens us up to the provision of God where we are reminded at that moment when it is so hard to turn the other cheek, at that moment when it is so hard to love, that the Spirit of God can speak into our hearts, I'll show you the way. We looked at a surprising treaty. Abimelech and Abraham. Who would have thought? Is there a surprising treaty for our lives to follow? Is there some connection and commitment that we are called upon to enter in to a world that can change lives? And I believe there is. It's found in this Sermon on the Mount. And again, I remind you that this sermon, its primary audience was disciples. Other people came and were able to listen. But this was Jesus telling the disciples, this is how you live as a kingdom of the citizen. In the verses 43 through 45, of Matthew 5, we hear this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Earlier in that same chapter, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And I've shared with you that expression, son of, in the New Testament, just doesn't mean, I'm Fred's son. It carries with it a a figure of speech kind of idea. You're like your father. James and John are called sons of thunder by Jesus because they want to call fire down from heaven. And I do understand that. You're like a bunch of thunder. Wouldn't it be great if our lives so reflected our Lord? We were so committed to making peace that people would not question our faith. 
but would say to us, you're just like the God you say loves me. You're just like your Father. This morning, I'm asking you to open up your heart. This morning, I want us to acknowledge that there are times, there have been moments in our lives when we have forgotten the admonition. As much as is possible, as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. There are times we forget. Love your enemies. And pray for those who are persecuting you. And I, I kind of feel obligated to say, whenever we hear that, don't think that Jesus is saying, pray, God, get them. God, have grace upon them. We see this acted out in Stephen's martyrdom. When they begin to stone him, he reflects his Lord and Master Jesus by saying, Heavenly Father, do not lay this on their charge. I'm asking you today, open up your heart. And if you have not been able to let go of the anger, if you've not been able to share love, to let God bring peace. I'm asking you to turn it over to Him. Right here and right now. Help me. Help me. You know how I've told you from time to time, people will talk about being under conviction. Folks, you've had to listen to one sermon. I've been preparing this thing. And God has spoken to me this week with my own issues. We need God to enable us to live as peacemakers.